0: So put our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. I've entitled the morning's message, The Three Musts, M-U-S-T. As we will see as we try to make our way through the entire chapter this morning, and we'll see how far we can get with that. So the three musts, let's give you a little Background, let's just read the first verse where we're told there was a man of the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. Traditionally, um, we're told that Nicodemus was probably, we know he was a Pharisee. Um, Tradition says he was one of the three richest men in all of Israel says he was a ruler. That put him in the class of the Sanhedrin, uh, a group of 70. What's interesting about that, there hasn't been a Sanhedrin since 70 AD, but there is a Sanhedrin alive and well in Israel today, consisting of 70. And then it said that he was respected, um, but he wasn't happy. Outwardly, he had it all, but inside he was empty, otherwise he wouldn't have been pursuing Jesus. In verses two and three, it says that this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. He did not want to be seen openly with the Lord. And he said to him, and the reason for that is, um, the religious leaders were threatened by Jesus but there were certain of the Jews that were, could not deny that this man was something special. And he gives us the reason here. He came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So in verses 2 and 3, um, it says signs, plural. If you go back to chapter two and look at verse 23, we have the Lord cleansing the temple and um, the religious leaders ask for a sign and so the Lord said, destroy this temple. Three days, I'll raise it up again. But that was a sign. But there were other signs, if you look at verse 23, When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs, plural, which he did. So the Lord was healing people miraculously. Um, Nicodemus was smart enough to know that a miracle had taken place and only God can do miracles. So he says no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Again, as I want to point out, as we make our way through the Gospel of John, without exception, we we started with Nathaniel and Andrew, that the Lord told that individual something about themself that only that individual would know. And the same holds true here with Nicodemus. So he says to Nicodemus in verse two and three, um, he cuts right to the quick in why Nicodemus is there. Basically, he's saying, you have something that I don't have, and even though I have all this wealth, this authority, this power, well-known religious spiritual leader, I'm empty. But you're different, and I can see it, and I want it. And um, so the Lord, knowing exactly why Nicodemus is there, knowing eventually that he's going to become a believer, but secretly, we'll read later, um, we read that, again, the Lord is going to answer the question even before Nicodemus asks the question. He's going to give him the answer to what he's looking for. I want what you have, but how do I get it? That was inside this man's heart, and the Lord knew it. And so he cuts to the quick. In verse 3, he answers the question that hasn't even really been asked yet, but the Lord knows. So in verse um, 3, we read, Jesus answered and said unto him, if you have the old King James verily, verily, or I have most assuredly in the new King James, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the answer to the question, Nicodemus, is you must be born of the Spirit. Now keep your finger here and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. This is true across many churches across our country today. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. And there's another place in the Bible that says, well, you can believe, but even the devils believe, but that doesn't mean they're saved or going to heaven. So in 1 Corinthians 2, let's pick it up in verse 12, where we read, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with natural. And now verse 14. But the natural man, at this point Nicodemus is a natural religious man, does not receive the things of the Spirit, of God, for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, your unbelieving friends might be great guys, might be the nice pe- nicest people on the planet, and you talk to them about being born again, um, personal relationship with the Lord, they don't have a clue. They cannot grasp it, they cannot comprehend it. It's not that they may not want to. Nicodemus is searching. And so what you're searching for, Nicodemus, I can give to you, but you must be born again. Well, again, right over his head, because in verse four, Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Thinking on a natural level. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born?" So um, we understand here how a natural man thinks. He cannot grasp the things of the spirit. They are foreign to him. Uh, he says, okay, born a second time. The only way I could identify with that statement is I know I was born by my mother. What do I do? Well, my woman come out again? Well, what are you talking about? And it's just not making sense to him, but we read in 1 Corinthians, he can't. Only when a person is born of the Spirit do we comprehend and actually have a desire for things that are of the Spirit. Now in verses uh, five and six, we find the Lord explaining more in detail Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, here's what's being said. When it comes to being born again, two things have to happen in order for a person to be born again. And he talks about the mother's womb talks about being born of water. And basically what we have here is you have to be born of woman. Every woman who has uh, birthed a child know that right before that happens, the water breaks. And so you have to be born, okay, to become a human being. In order then and only then, when you're a human being as a natural man, can you be born again. So you have to be born you have to be a human. And that's what's really being said here. And I'm going to try to make this as clear as I can. Only human beings can be born again. Now, as much as you love your dog or your cat, I'm afraid, they're totally always in the flesh. Feed me, pet me, love me. <laughs> oh, our, the Rathke's are uh, good enough to put up our little kitty when we travel. And um, coming to church this morning, um, my wife, this is not in my notes, <laughs> uh, we're talking on the way to church, and and she said, uh, Kitty came out and went, meow. And so Judy goes over to pet her, and she turns her tail and goes upstairs. She's mad. She was mad because we uh, dumped her off at the Rathke House for a couple days, and brought her home, and she was letting us know her personal feelings. (laughs) Dogs, on the other hand, they're completely different. This isn't my notes either. If you've been gone for a couple days, what do they do? (laughs) Completely different creatures. Some people are cat people. How about an amen? And some people are dog people. Amen. Cat people, over there. Dog people, over here. Okay. Oh, why do I carry it off in these crazy stories? I was asked to speak at our Bible college many years, 20 years ago, in Australia, and went beautiful. It's a castle. It's beautiful, and we went there. And I was jet lagging; didn't feel like teaching at all. We were on our way to India, and um, they asked they asked me to speak, and and I didn't know the students that were there. I wanted to break the ice because I didn't know them. They didn't know me. How do I break the ice? So I I pulled the the guy who's overseeing it, um, uh, Davis, uh, I can't remember his first name right now, and I said, how do I get through to the people? How do I break the ice here? He says, oh, that's easy. They argue all the time. Half of them love cats. Half of them love dogs. I said, that's all I need to know. So I got up there and looked real serious at him and, and um, said, hi, my name's Dwight, and Pastor Chuck sent me out. And um, he's concerned, because he, he heard there's division that's happening at the Bible College. And so he asked me to come and address, address the issue. You could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> and people are wondering, what is this guy gonna say next? And well, what kind of trouble are we in anyway? And I said, um, um, uh, the, the division is clear that there's people that are one side on he, over here, one side over here, and I'm here to settle it. And the, the answer to your problem is this. I love dogs. <laughs> so half the people loved me and half the people didn't. <laughs> I don't know why I let stuff come out of the back of my brain like that, but but I, but I do. So, anyway, back to um, the water and the spirit, only human beings can be born again. Uh, An angel uh, that didn't fall, they're eternal spirits. Uh, The angels that didn't fall, there's no chance of them being born again. They sealed their fate. So when we say you must be born again, you must be born of a woman, you must be a human being, So that means you already exist, but then you must be born again a second time by the Spirit of God. And that's what the Lord is saying here. And then in verse uh, 7, we read our first must. Remember, I told you this morning there are three musts in um, John chapter 3. Here's the first one right here, in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is still trying to pick up on on what is being said here. So the Lord tries to explain to a natural man who hasn't been born again yet what it's like. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You can hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So uh, that's verse eight, and with that, I would like to have you turn to the book of Ezekiel, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're gonna read verses one through 13 to give you an understanding of what's being said here. The Lord says, well, Nick, it's like this. When you look at a tree and you see the leaves moving back and forth, Um, you can see the effect, but you can't see the cause of the effect because wind is invisible. So in Ezekiel 37, we have the vision of the dry bones. It's a prophecy that has been fulfilled about Israel being regathered in the land a second time. Pick it up in verse one. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and beyond and there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh Lord God, you know, I don't. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover your skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. uh, The skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, so they live.'" So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, said of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you once again into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord, whom I have spoken, your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. He's prophesying that they were dispersed. But he's saying, I'm gonna bring you back. You are just dead. But I'm gonna breathe life into you again. So in... um, Uh, These verses here, the Lord is talking to them about uh, breath. In in the Greek, the words spirit and breath are both the same. So it's the same with Adam and Eve. Adam formed clay, and he made Adam. He took Adam's rib, and he made Eve but they didn't come to life until he breathed in them. So breathe and spirit are one and the same word. So my point in this, when we talk about the necessity of the Lord using the analogy, what's it like, Nicodemus? Well, it's like the wind. You can't really see it, but you can see the effects of it. It's invisible. And so it is everyone who is born of the spirit. So breath and spirit are one and the same. It's the same Greek word. And now the Lord is using it. Let's go back to John uh, chapter three. three. Wind and Greek are the same word. Now nine and 10. He still, of course, has not gotten it. And so he asked another question. Nicodemus answered and said to him, well, how can these things be? be and Jesus said unto him Nicodemus I thought you were a teacher of Israel and do you not know these things now this is interesting to me because what this is is what I call a set up question he says now you're supposed to be a teacher you're supposed to be the one with all the answers you're the one that people look to and this is basic ABC stuff about um, coming into the kingdom. And you don't have the answers for them, Nicodemus. And you're supposed to be one of the uh, religious leaders of Israel and you don't know these things. It's the same sort of a set question to, Nicodemus, to get Nicodemus' attention. He's drawing him out because the Lord is going someplace with this. It's just like if you remember the woman at the well. And she was a Samaritan. The Lord strikes up a conversation with her. She was getting water. And the Lord said, give me some water. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't get along. So um, why are you talking to me for? He says, well, you're drawing water. He says, I have water. I have living water. And if you had the water that I had, you'd never have to... Uh, you'd never be thirsty again. And she says, sir, give me some of this water that I met never have to thirst again. He says, okay, go call your husband. Same thing here. Set, he is setting up that woman. Why? Because there was animosity between them. She was a Jew. He was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. How do you break the barriers? And that's what he's doing with Nicodemus the religious leadership despised Jesus, but not Nicodemus. He was, he was a seeker, and he was intrigued because he knew that God was with him, and he wanted what he had. And so this is a setup question as far as I'm concerned. Nicodemus, you're supposed to be a teacher. You're supposed to have this stuff down, And you don't know the basic ABCs about being born again. And so he tells him um, just like the, the woman at the well, he is drawing Nicodemus out, and then he says in verse 11, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. I've been trying to talk to you guys. I've been trying to explain through the miracles, but you're not listening. John one eleven says he came into his own. His own received him not. Nicodemus, you're coming to me by night because you're ashamed to come to me by day. You want to know, but um, you're not really receiving. So he's drawing him out even more and more the same way that he did with the woman at the well. He finally got the woman at the well's attention. Go call your husband. That was a setup question. And the Lord knew she wasn't married, but he asked the question anyway well, I'm not married. Oh, that's right, you're not married. You've been married four times and you're living with a guy right now. Dropped your jaw. He had her attention. That's what he's doing here with Nicodemus. He has Nicodemus' attention. You're a teacher. You're supposed to know these things. But you don't. Matter of fact, the things I've been doing, your people and leadership, they're not receiving it at all. I have told you, verse 12, of earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And I can just kind of see Nicodemus' head going down a little bit at this time. No one can ascend to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. In other words, Nicodemus, I know what I'm talking about. And I'm proving it by the miracles and the signs that are taking place. I know why you're here. I know what you want, and the only way that you can have it is you must be born again. And even with the illustrations and everything, until a person is born again, they're still not going to understand. Good place for an amen. You must be born again, or you will not comprehend the things of the Spirit, much less be interested in what the Bible has to say. So in verse 14, we come to our second Must, first must, you must be born again. Second must is, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now Nicodemus was familiar with Numbers 21. I'll have you turn there right now, please. Turn back to the book of Numbers. I'll give you a moment to get there. I'm sure Nicodemus not only knew the story of the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness, but he probably spoke on it and taught on it on a regular basis. So if you turn to it, what Nicodemus did not know about this story, it was an Old Testament picture of Jesus, and now he's going to open up their eyes, hopefully, hopefully, in the same way that uh, Cleopas and his friends' eyes were open. Numbers 21, picking it up in verse 4, let me set the background. Um, They are journeying on the way of the Red Sea, verse 4, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water. Our soul loathes this worthless bread. Let me just stop and say that there was food, manna from heaven every day. First Corinthians 10.4 says that they had water that followed them from a rock, and that rock was Christ. So what they're saying here isn't true. Let me get, uh, allow me another little sidetrack. Because what we have is manna from heaven and water. And what are they doing about it? They're complaining. We're not happy with the manna. We're not happy with water. In other words, they were longing for the things back in Egypt, the, oh, the onions and the leeks and the melons and the dates and all that. That's what they were longing for and that's what they were complaining about. A modern day illustration of what I see happening in the church today is many are not satisfied. Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven and man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word. He's making a, a direct correlation between himself, the word of God, manna. man cannot live by bread alone, and himself and then he said to the woman at, at the well, he who drinks of this water will never thirst again. So he's given us what? What do we do? What's our routine here? Well, we come and we study the manner from heaven. And we do it on a regular basis. Uh, we're not flashy. We don't wanna spice things up. And hopefully you're satisfied and content in not murmuring and complaining And thinking, can't we get a bigger blue screen like they have on a lot of the churches with all the stuff going on behind it and and really, you know, putting on a show and putting on the Ritz? Uh, Can't we spice things up a little bit? So there's there's a direct correlation here of being satisfied with just coming and studying the word of God, worshiping God, and then fellowshipping with one another. The Bible says, "In whatsoever state you're in, there and learn to be content." Question: Are you content with just this? And are you content with just allowing God's word to speak to your heart and feed you, and then fellowshipping and going to the Golden Corral? Oh, I just gave a commercial. <laughs> and um, fellowship afterwards, and and be content with that. Instead of saying, "Can't can't we follow the Willow Creek model?" I mean, they got this great big production that's going on and it's really entertaining I had a Calvary Chapel friend that wanted to be current he's in Spokane very large church and he became really good friends with Bill Heibel and he started hobnobbing with them and began to change that Calvary Chapel into a willow creek and he did this for a couple years and he was noticing a change in people coming and going And one Sunday that got his attention is one woman came up she said, this is wonderful. This is just like watching Oprah. (laughs) And it hit him right between the eyes. And he goes, Lord, what have I done? I had him come out several years in a row speaking about staying the course, being content with simply teaching the word of God simply and not compromising from it not adding to it, just keep on keep on going. And with that, it's Acts chapter two, Gay, okay? Apostles doctrine, fellowship, prayer, and breaking of bread. And be content with that. I could end right now when we go home and, and if you got that much today, that's what a lot of churches are trying to make it flashy and spicy and it's worldly and it's carnal. And... Um, one of the things that I took out of the pastor's conference in Omaha is one of the pastors that was speaking says, do you realize that we are a remnant? And I knew exactly what he was saying, a remnant. In other words, a a very small part of the body of Christ. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Calvary Chapel, Appleton is the one and only way to do, do church. No, there's good churches out there that are being true to the word of God. However, having said that, we're a minority in the overall scope of the church in America today. I see the church in America today as more, like like last week we were talking about Laodicea, thinking they were rich, but the Lord says, no, you're really poor, uh, because they they thought they had it all down. All right, that was a sidetrack I was meaning to get into, but the truth of this here, uh, they complained. They weren't content. So in verse 6, So the Lord set fiery serpents among the people and bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord, against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole And it will be that anyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So Jesus, the second must, looks at Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you want to be born again. All right, another illustration. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The analogy that we have here is that brass is always a symbol and a metal of judgment. The serpent, of course, that's obvious, is a type of sin. And what we have here is a picture of sin being judged. And basically, what the Lord is giving to Nicodemus is an Old Testament picture of Jesus being lifted up on a pole and sin being placed upon him as a means of having the sins of the world placed upon him. It's a picture. And maybe it's beginning to sink in to Nicodemus, okay, I understand. And and in that group, there were people that looked at it and lived, and then I'm sure there was people that said, this is crazy, I'm dying here. I just got bit by a poisonous snake. And looking at something, how, how can that save me? And a lot of people wonder about that today. How can I just believing in Jesus Christ I'm quoting 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he points Nicodemus back to this story. And he says, that's a picture of me, Nicodemus. I must be lifted up. And anybody who looks, anyone who believes in the gospel He'll be saved and he'll live, but anybody who says no, and turns away, they will perish. Let's go to back to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter three. We left off with verse fourteen, and most, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the word must. This must happen. Why? Because there's no other name under heaven whereby you what must be saved. No other name, no other way. There's no other way those people in the Old Testament would live unless they looked at the serpent up on the brass pole. Verse 16 is probably the most known verse in the Bible. And um, you can even see it in the end zone of football games and baseball games today. I suppose if you would take one, Bible out, one verse out of the Bible, It would probably have to be John um, 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again there, the whosoever implies free will. Um, In the Old Testament story of the serpent on the pole, free will was involved. Whoever looks lives, whoever doesn't dies. It's that simple. And now, um, here we have this very famous verse. Um, Remember when you were kids and you go to school, first day back at school, sometimes the teacher would say, all right, in 25 words or less, tell us what you did on your summer vacation. Remember in fifth grade, anybody besides me have their teacher tell you that? Give me, tell me what you did on your summer vacation in 25 words or less. In other words, you're summarizing your whole summer, but you gotta do it in 25 words or less. John 3.16 is 25 words. And if you can just take one verse out of the Bible and tell you what it's all about, you have it in John 3.16 in 25 words. You have the whole gospel. God loves you. He loves the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's the whole gospel right there in 25 words. So let's go on to verse 17 and 18. It tells us, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And before I get and explain this, I want to summarize John 3.16 again. For in it we see the Father's heart, the Father's mind, the Father's will. The Father's heart, for God so loved the world, The Father's mind, that he gave his only begotten Son. The Father's will, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Son is in the middle, Jesus keeps, is in the center of of every one of these verses. Now, Jesus, what we're told here in 17 and 18, um, people don't seem to realize that um, if they are neutral in the gospel, let's just say, well, I can take you or leave it, and um, I'm just gonna live and let love, uh, live and let live. And here we're told, in verses 17 and 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son, of God. My friends, the world is already condemned. When you came into this world, David in the psalm says, I was born from my mother's womb in iniquity. I was born into sin. You are already condemned. The world is already lost and under judgment. And that's why the Lord came. And we have to have this understanding that um, when we share with people, and they say, I'm neutral. Or they might say that I'm a, a Buddhist or a Hindu, or I'm into Confucius or Krishna or Allah. And um, I got a story that deals with these people. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to reach out to the world. When you say you found the Lord, there's no such thing. The truth is he found you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And to say, though, I was such a sincere searcher of truth that I finally found the truth. No, he didn't. (laughs) He might have created the circumstances for that to happen, but have no doubt about it. He was behind the scenes pulling the strings all along. So I have this little story. A man was caught in some quicksand, and Confucius came by and said, Confucius say, man should avoid such places. And then Muhammad came by and said, Alas, it is the will of Allah. Buddha came by and said, Let this be man's problem, be a lesson to many. And then Krishna came by, he believes in reincarnation, and said, Better luck next time. (laughs) And then Jesus Christ came by, and he reached down and he pulled the man out. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's the one that picks you up and pulls you down. Doesn't give you religious ideologies or philosophies, which are nothing but tears, but he comes and he can accomplish and do exactly what he said. Now we have in verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they may be done in him. So in, in these verses, it tells us why people really don't come to Jesus, to the light. It's because they don't want to. They understand, becoming a Christian, uh, that their lifestyle is going to have to change. Um, the Bible exposes our sins. And quite frankly, it's, it's really that simple among re- the real people, reason people don't come to the light is um, they don't want to quit doing their old Deeds, they like the darkness. They like to stay in darkness. One of the seven I am statements of the Gospel of John is I am the light. I am the light of the world. And people don't want to come to the light because they realize that they'll have to change. They don't realize they'll finally be satisfied. All these other things are into and doing. There's no satisfaction there. Ask Nicodemus. rich. reputation of being a religious leader, fame, popularity, he had all those things going for him, but he wasn't happy. He was still empty here. Jesus said to the woman at the well, go ahead, you can drink that water all day long, but you'll be thirsty again. And the only thing that'll quench the thirst is the living water. Good place for an amen. And so the, the Lord is telling us here that people don't come to the light because they really don't want to. I remember people witnessing to me. I could count on it when I used to hitchhike around the country. I'd, sit, I'd get in the car and say, okay, I know you're a Christian, get it over with. Because that's the way it was. The Lord was after me. And I would just say, get your rap done so we can get on with what, where we're going. And sure enough, they'd be a Christian and they'd be witnessing to me. And then they'd drop me off and I'd say, thank you very much, wait for the next car to come by. All right, pick me up, give me your wrap and get, let's get it over with. I didn't want to become a Christian because I realized I couldn't live the Christian lifestyle and I told that to somebody one time and they said you just don't understand of course you can't live the Christian lifestyle what happens is God sends his Holy Spirit in you and he lives through you uh-huh like Nicodemus going uh-huh how, how does that happen and um, that's, that's a whole other story for a whole other time because it's too long to get into But my acknowledgement was honest. I could not live that lifestyle. And I couldn't. But I can do, without Him, I can do nothing but through Him what? I can do all things. All I have to do is stay out of the way and let the Lord live through me. Oh, that, that might work. And sure enough, it had. I made one condition with the Lord about being a Christian no public speaking. That was a condition. I know that Christians did that kind of stuff. So I got saved and I haven't shut up since then. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Brings us to the third and final muscle. Let's go back to John 3. The rest of the chapter I'll summarize. It changes gear here from 22 to 36. It's the testimony of John the Baptist before his death. And it leads us to the third must. And I'm just gonna read it and let it speak for itself. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. And John was baptized in uh, Enon at Salem because there was much water there And they came and were baptized. John had not yet been thrown into prison. This is John the Baptist. Then there rose a dispute among some among of John's disciples, the Jews, about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing. And all are now coming to him. And John answered the Baptist and said, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from above. You yourself bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now he's speaking about you and I as a church. He who has the bride, that's us, has the bridegroom, that's Jesus John, referring to himself, he says, But the friend of the bridegroom, that's John the Baptist, who stands and hears him, well, he rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John is overjoyed that people are leaving his baptism and going to Jesus and following Jesus instead of John. John's saying, My place is I'm just a voice. But those who are believing on him and being baptized, well, my heart is just full of joy because this is happening. I'm a friend of the groom, and I'm so happy for him and that he is, his people are coming to him instead of coming to me. And then we have the third must concerning himself. This is what John said, and it's true for all of us. He must must increase, and I must decrease. Jesus said John was the greatest man in all the world. People were coming to him. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? No, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm a nobody. I'm a finger pointer. But people were holding him up, and now he's saying, now that the real one has come, my job is to decrease And he has to increase. Before you were born again, you're concerned about moi, yourself, (laughs) and you. (laughs) And afterwards, we realize no, I must decrease. And Jesus now has to be the one that's increasing. Another good place for an amen. Must. This must happen. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly, and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard that he testifies and no one receives his testimony, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he who God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe, the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides in him. John 3 tells us the good news in John three sixteen You can have eternal life. 17 and 18 tells us the world is already condemned. And the only way to get saved is coming to the light. The last verse here again makes it clear. There's a love of God the way a husband loves his wife. And you can be saved. But on the other hand, if you reject that, it clearly says the wrath of God uh, abides on him. And um, he will die in his sins. He will stand before the great white-throat judgment. And he will be judged according to his works. And he will be found guilty. And his name will not be written in the book of life. And he will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. The thing about John 3 is it lays it all out very, very clearly. Um, uh, the truth about who we are. In closing, I'm, let me just sum it up um, with saying this John chapter 3, if we would review it, John is writing in this gospel that we might believe. Verse 16, whosoever believes won't perish. Verse 18, he who believes is not condemned. Verse 36, he who believes has everlasting life. Let's learn to be content with the things that God has given to us to get us through our pilgrimage on this earth with uh, the manna from heaven, fellowship, And worship. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning as we look at this very famous chapter in the Bible. Lord, I pray for any this morning that aren't sure about being saved and knowing you in a personal way. I pray by the same illustrations that you used with Nicodemus, Lord, that you would speak to that individual. And let them understand that they won't understand unless they come to you and believe on you, that you were lifted up for us, that our sin was placed on the cross. And Lord, just like in the Old Testament, if we'll just simply look to you and ask you to come into our life and to forgive us of our sins, that you're quick to hear. And Lord, that you will cleanse us and you'll cause us to become a brand new creature that we call being born again. I pray for any of this morning in the sound of the hearing of my voice here or watching live stream that this would be a holy moment for them and that they would believe John chapter three and accept you as your Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. In what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he who God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand, and he who believes, and the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. John 3 tells us the good news in John three sixteen You can have eternal life. 17 and 18 tells us the world is already condemned. And the only way to get saved is coming to the light. The last verse here again makes it clear. There's a love of God, the way a husband loves his wife and you can be saved but on the other hand if you reject that it clearly says the wrath of God uh, abides on him and um, he will die in his sins he will stand before the great white throne judgment and he will be judged according to his works and he will be found guilty and his name will not be written in the book of life and he will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. The thing about John 3 is it lays it all out very, very clearly. Um, uh, the truth about who we are. In closing, let me just sum it up. Um, with saying this. John chapter 3, if we would review it, John is writing in this gospel that we might believe. Verse 16 Whosoever believes won't perish. Verse 18, he who believes is not condemned. Verse 36, he who believes has everlasting life. Let's learn to be content with the things that God has given to us to get us through our pilgrimage on this earth with uh, the manna from heaven, fellowship, and worship. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning as we look at this very famous chapter in the Bible. Lord, I pray for any this morning that aren't sure about being saved and knowing you in a personal way. I pray by the same illustrations that you used with Nicodemus, Lord, that you would speak to that individual And let them understand that they won't understand unless they come to you and believe on you. That you were lifted up for us, that our sin was placed on the cross. And Lord, just like in the Old Testament, if we'll just simply look to you and ask you to come into our life and to forgive us of our sins, that you're quick to hear. And Lord, that you will cleanse us and you'll cause us to become a brand new creature that we call being born again. I pray for any this morning in the sound of the hearing of my voice here or watching live stream that this would be a holy moment for them and that they would believe John chapter 3 and accept you as your Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.